Have you ever stopped to think that virtually everything we use in our daily lives is based on technology? Even further, do you understand the software behind this technology? Welcome to The Art of Software with Martin Lacey. In today's program, you'll hear how software is created and implemented, why it's written the way it is, and learn from its success stories, proven best practices, and significant failures. Now, here is your host, Martin Lacey. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Software. In today's episode, we will be reviewing the significant advances in computing technology and the software concepts that enable it. And in doing so, demonstrate the layered nature of these advancements and insights. We'll examine the current emerging software technology and discuss how this is impacting the designs and capabilities of next generation business systems. We'll provide a key vantage point for understanding emerging capabilities of blockchain, IoT, that's the Internet of Things, machine learning, and software process itself. Helping us to explore this uh, really dynamic topic and uh, reflection back on history and where we might go is Paul Twig, who is the VP of Technology from Sierra Systems. Welcome, Paul. Morning, Martin. It's great to be back. Uh, it's awesome to have you back on on board, Paul. It's always fun to chat with you about uh, about uh, business and technology and where we might be going. Um, so let's just jump right into it and talk about. Um, I guess in this first bit of the show, we'll we'll go over a little bit of the history uh, of um, of software and technology. There isn't really much to go on. Uh, we've really been doing software since 1936 or at least the the idea of it first started right i mean with uh, uh, alan turing and the turing machine and then uh, of course that led into uh, uh 43 with the colossus and the code breaking uh that was done in world war ii uh onto mainframes in the 50s minis in the 60s the cray computer in in the early 70s and of course, personal computers, microcomputers, uh, the things that were, were um, you know, everyone has on their desktop now. And in fact, we've got the power of the damn things in our uh, power of, of, I guess, probably of the crepe uh, on our uh, iPhones. Um, and of course, moving into the 70s uh, with Apple and virtual machines and uh, there's just been so much going on in terms of the hardware technology. Um, what's your take on uh, Paul? Uh, all the advancement, just in terms of the um, the 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 the, the uh, technology itself, the hardware. Um, you know, we've got Moore's law, which uh, keeps us uh, uh, doubling, uh, I think, in processing capacity every 18 months, and we're, I guess, approaching the end of that uh, theoretical limit. Um, do you have a feel for uh, where we're going with uh, the hardware side of it? You know, th theoretical limits are there to be broken. I think that isn't that the world of science? Uh, you know, you, you look at just some of the thoughts that you've put out there, moving from mainframes to mini. You know, I'd, I would add client server in there in the eighties. Right. Right. Oh yeah. <laughs> How did I miss that one? That was huge. And then you know. Coming now into the 90s, remote data centers uh, that got uh, re-marketed uh, into private cloud. Then we moved into public cloud. You know, now the latest thing, you know, subscription cloud. Uh, you've got the compute cloud, the yeah, infrastructure cloud, you know, all, all these different buzzwords. But you, you look at it all and it's cyclical, really, isn't it? You know, we've gone from large scale systems 
to you know small systems back to large scale systems and like you said now you look at the power on a phone piece of hardware it's massive it's the same power that we had on some of the mini computers you could almost say back in the 80s yeah and, and you know, you're right it's so cyclical and it, it's almost like a ping pong it's going you know where's the computing power it's 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 far away. It's close. It's in the middle. It's far away. It's close. It's in the middle, and <laughs> you know, and you know, the the marketing of it is has uh, followed suit. Uh, you know, I think back in the fifties when the uh, uh, mainframes were were first coming, and of course they're so expensive, you, 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 they time shared them, right? Yep. And right. what we're doing today, right? The, we don't call it timeshare, but you know, it's cloud computing. So it's, it's the same thing. We call it throttling, right? Now when we're <laughs> when we're writing applications, but uh, same same concept, you know. But the one the one thing that is forever changing is the power consumption and the speed or the compute power of of these devices, right? So you know, we we recently got off a machine learning. We'll talk about this maybe later in the show, but recently got off a machine learning project where the actual whole project was devised and developed on a laptop. Why? Because it had enough GPUs. Uh, on the laptop to be able to do that, to be able to throw that uh, processing power at the application. Ma- massive application, yet laptop was good enough because it was used in the field. Yeah, and, and that's just, I, I think that's that's a, a key driver uh, to enabling this push back and forth. You know, I, 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 I see that the computing power is, um, we want to have it locally, but the need of the problem is pushing it from one place to the next. And I, I think that's kind of where we're going back to the cloud again, is not necessarily for the computing power, but for the volumes of data that the, that the computing needs to process. It, it is. You know, we, we were on a project uh, recently where we uh, spoke to a specific cloud vendor about uh, the amount of data uh, that we would need. And we were talking in terms of exabytes and the vendor didn't even budge. Like it didn't bother them. Uh, the, you know, the the only concept that we had to figure out is could our network actually deal with that amount of data, moving data backwards and forwards in, into the cloud. You know, it's come a long way since the day of the you know ZX81 home computer, which had 1K and it had no storage device, uh, <laughs> as an example. And and of course, you remember the days of sneaker net, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, for the, for those who are uh, who ha- haven't been around for for the extent of time, um, this this predates uh, the internet um, or where we had uh, local area networks within our offices. Sneakernet was, of course, you moving bits of files around on floppies and running it, you know, via sneakers to someone else's yeah, desk. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it, it becomes it comes the advent of great technologies right and you know you look at tcp ip coming in in the 70s this was the advent of the internet ultimately that came around in the late 80s early 90s right of you know the whole concept of being able to let's take a, a large network packet chunk it out send it in any direction you can on the internet with having acknowledgements uh, when we receive it and then be able to take that whole packet and process it once once it arrives and you know TCP IP really brought that 
uh, into the game. It took 20 years uh, uh, to uh, to start to really be used. And there was a bunch of naysayers. Can you believe that? There's a bunch of TCPIP naysayers back in the <laughs> 70s that said, this will never work. Yes. Uh, yeah, the basis yeah. of all communication. And, you know, the, the, the idea was to be able to root around um, you know the the, the horrible uh, concept of a nuclear attack, right? That's right. I mean, exactly. it's, it's rooted in military doctrine of trying to keep communication lines open. And the event that uh, some of your your points of contact are wiped out. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, having said that, the underlying technology, the ability to uh, break up these messages into little bits, send it as you say, often to uh, multiple directions, and have it reassembled, error checked, find the bits that are missing, and you know, send acknowledgments back saying, "Okay, I'm missing this bit. You know, please resend." And having that all happen in what appears to be instantaneous microseconds, milliseconds. Um, you know that that brought on the ad- advent of all the all the things that we're now uh, seeing, and and that's what it's all about, right? It's all about speed, right? When we're doing app development, you know, we've gone we've gone full circle again with app development, where we've said, you know, let's put everything in, you know, big central systems. Then we said, oh no, let's put it all in middleware, and then we're like, no, let's load up the front end because that's where it's fastest, and we're coming back round circle again, and it becomes all about speed if you are a, if you're a software architect you, your number one goal in almost every application development becomes speed right and you look at how fast information is transferring these days like it, it transfers almost before it happens oh i the, yeah exactly the this the speed is is uh what enables you to really dream big it does so, as listening to one of the uh, large technology prediction companies, this was a couple of weeks ago, and uh, they they came out with this fantastic prediction. Uh, and 2022, and I, I speak this verbatim, word for word, the majority of individuals in mature economies will choose to consume false information over true information. Think about that. You know how fast information data is now moving. People are now choosing to consume false information because it's easier than maybe looking at the actual raw data and saying, this is really not true. You know, the fact is X. That's an interesting, that's almost a play on psychology, what people are, um, you know, trending towards based on ease of consumption. Yeah, you know, I wonder what would happen if we turned off the internet. <laughs> you imagine? Or, or, or may the internet only provide honest answers. Are those your honest answers or mine? (laughs) Well, I guess verifiable. We'll we'll get into blockchain pretty soon. That's right, exactly. Um, So with with all these thoughts in mind, um, we're going to take a quick break. um, And I think we'll just continue on from where we we are right here, uh, Paul. And um, this is really compelling. I think we'll move on to some of the... Uh, move on to soft from software tech or the hardware and moving to the software itself. So please continue on listening to Paul Twig and myself as we explore the future of technology, future of software on the art of software. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
private equity firms have over $1 trillion to invest. They are the biggest funding source for growing companies. Why do they reject 98% of deals? How do you get the right deal for your company? Join Kevin Fechtmeyer and his partners on the Deal Team 6 to uncover the next winning deal and avoid the financial landmines. Deal Junkie, Cracking the Private Equity Code, is broadcast live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. How is your business running? It should be running smoothly with nary a hiccup, like a finely tuned machine. But if you're like most businesses, yours may be running nowhere close to that. Listen for Operationally Speaking with your host, Sergio Samel. Our program will help you to run your entrepreneurial business easier, better, with less frustration. And by running it well, you're sure to be poised for faster growth. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. How is your company's marketing plan? Could it use a little help? For most businesses, the answer is yes. Tune in each week to Marketing That Won't Break the Bank. Host Janet Kunst and her guests will show you how and where to bring your marketing to the next level. Each show will feature action strategies that you can implement right away and see results. We'll make this easy for you. Start by tuning in every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Art of Software with Martin Lacey. To connect with the show today, you may call into 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd prefer to send an email, you may send it to m.lacey at laceytechnology.com. Now, back to The Art of Software. Welcome back to The Art of Software. I'm Martin Lacey, and we're talking to Paul Twig from Sierra Systems. He's the VP of Technology at Sierra and has an opportunity to, to uh, see many projects and explore uh, where they're going, get an understanding of the technology involved. We've been just talking about uh, processing speed and how that's transforming the capabilities of software and where we're really going with um, uh, software as uh, as a capability and visioning where it might go in the future. So in terms of performance, we've, we're really dealing with Moore's Law and, and getting things shrunken down to uh, a very small fa- form factor. And in fact, it's it's getting uh, so that we have billions of transistors, um, you know, in, in, uh, on a thumbnail kind of thing. Um, so Paul, you know, we've we've talked a little bit about the the hardware and shrinking things down so that uh, uh, we've got more power, more capabilities uh, coming out of our software. When it comes to building the software, there's also been advances and changes on how we attack uh, the actual domain within uh, the software technology itself. Let, let's go over a little bit uh, on how things have evolved. Um, in terms of building software, yeah, you, you know, you look at all the plumbing code that gets brought into an application these days. You know, you, in fact, 
you, you spin up a new project and it takes five, ten minutes just to build the project as thousands of lines of plumbing code uh, can built in. You, you look at what the .NET framework or some of the Java frameworks have, are bringing into uh, the system where the plumbing code actually becomes a part of the core operating system. And so we're not having to build it. You know, gone are the days where we're we're sat in Notepad uh, building out all EDB extensions so that we can connect to a database, uh, as an example. Now, now we're just connecting to a database almost with plain text English. Yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, in many ways, in a great many ways, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a real relief not having to monkey around with some of those low-level programming tasks anymore and dealing with uh, uh, higher-level building blocks. You, you have the opportunity to, to get real traction and move uh, on a project. I mean, back uh, you know, 20 years ago, as you say, we had to build all the lower-level bits every single time. And you know, we tried to move things around. We had libraries. And if the clients were okay, we could move uh, some of our own code around. But uh, you know, that, that's really the, the thrust of it is you know, that, that re reusability and having that infrastructure there for you. Well, and, you know, reusability, you know, you bring up a good thought process there because you know I, I look back on on my career of software development. I look at all the projects and you know I ask questions. Really, how much of that software was ever reused? You know, we might have built in reusability. Now I, I look at web apps right now, and you may be talking about seven, eight, nine layers of different types of software development. You know, multiple layers of MVC type stuff. You know, the model view controller, yeah. uh, where we've got that in the UI. We've got that on the web server piece. We've even got that concept now appearing at the data layer uh, as, yes. as well, right? And you, you split it up so many times with the concept of reuse, but is it really reuse that drives it? And for me, you know, when I talk to my software development teams, yeah, reuse becomes really important, right? So let's build something that is number one, generic enough so we can reuse it, but specific enough to solve the problem. But for me, it's more about testing. You know, can I build the mock objects around the different components? How easy can I troubleshoot? How easy can I log? How easy can I find a specific problem to make a perfect piece of software? Yeah, and even in the testing side of things, that that's that's evolved dramatically. Uh, Twenty years ago, we had to write our own scripts uh, to test little bits of software, and you know they weren't uh, as well they're as thorough as as we wanted to make them. Yeah, it it, it was. Now I, I think we still got to be careful not to get caught out though with testing, right? So, you know, you, you look at a lot of the software vendors out there that build software development products. And, you know, they're very quick to say, hey, you can build an application in five minutes. You can build a mobile app in 15 minutes. Just click here, start with this template and start coding. And that's great. You can. But ultimately, that's not an enterprise grade application, right? It's not something that you should be deploying into production. It's not something that's easy to test or easy to troubleshoot uh, or even easy to support. And so there are mixed messages that I think developers have to work through to be able to get to that correct working environment that they need to be in. Yeah, I, I absolutely totally agree. And that, that's, you know, kind of the, the bane of uh, the ease of, of building some of those, these systems now uh, in that it looks like you can uh, and it's marketed such that 
you know, you can build a system quickly, but it's really not a system that does anything that the business wants. I'm sure there's data entry and that's the most rudimentary part of it, but there's the business processes, the managing, looking into the business and finding the things that are unique to that business that you need to automate or improve or uh, get at the data and present it in a way that is uh, more understandable so they can take action on it. So, you know, there's a lot more to a business system than just, you know, following some of these tools and bring bring something up. Yeah, there there isn't. Take blockchain as a great example, and you know we're probably going to talk about this as we get further into the show as well. You know, but you know this is a constantly changing technology at at the moment, right? You know, the whole concept around it is, you know, if we have one big blockchain, it might work really well. Or lots of little blockchains, it might work really well. Uh, you know, there's five thousand different cryptocurrency exchanges uh, out there. And you've got large companies like Microsoft and IBM both standing up and touting, "Hey, go develop a Hyperledger Fabric application in a matter of minutes with our, uh, you know, with our tools like Composer." Uh, there, but who's helping you choose which blockchain technology is the right technology to go and use? Right? Should we be using Hyperledger Fabric, Hyperledger Indy? You know, should we, should we be using Bitcoin, Ethereum, all you know, all of these other different types of uh, blockchains out there, or should we really be developing our own? Right. Yeah. Uh, or you know, um, should it be public or private? You know, public and, or private. Yeah. Yeah, and or, or within a, a consortium of enterprises, you know, working to exchange information, and and to what end? Uh, you know, these are all the, these these salient questions to ask. You know, what's the business purpose? It it is, and you know, this this is what your developers or your architects really have to think about these days, right? It, you know, are we going to jump on the bandwagon? And again, you know, let's use blockchain as a great example uh, because it is a bit of a bandwagon technology uh, right mm-hmm. now, isn't it? And you know, are we going to jump on that bandwagon and just start developing stuff? Uh, you're again, Gartner predicting ten percent of organizations by 2023 will actually have enterprise-grade blockchain applications. But you know, as I talk to my peers out there, it seems that blockchain's absolutely everywhere. Everybody's doing it. Uh, you know, ten percent. You know, doesn't seem like everybody. The reality <laughs> of it is, you know, what what everybody's doing is they're starting to mine. Right, because we want to mine, or they're starting to develop uh, little applications because they think it can work. And there's a lot of thought, but there isn't really a lot of enterprise-grade practice in that in the concept of blockchain at the moment. No, I, it, it seems to be largely experimental. There's a lot of theory in in, in you know, blockchain specifically uh, in how it can be used for for business and the potential. Um, and, uh, you know, there are, of course, a lot of companies that are just throwing the name blockchain onto whatever they're doing, um, just because it helps sell their business. Um, yeah. you know, <laughs> so there's right, some really so silly examples of that. Model. Yeah. Well, even there's some businesses that are just, you know, adopting the name just to uh, increase their market share. Of course, it drops immediately after, uh, you know, people realize that there's, there's no real link between that business and the technology. Yeah. No, I, and personally, you know, if I was to add my own prediction to blockchain, I, I think blockchain's got a massive future. You know, I think th- this is a, a revolution that was seen in the IT industry, uh, but I don't think it's one that's going to happen tomorrow. 
right? I, I think we're looking out several years till we see things happen. Uh, there's a lot of money to be made on blockchain technology today uh, there. But, you know, from an enterprise, am I going to trust rebuilding my enterprise? You know, talking about smart contracts with vendors, uh, with customers, uh, looking at the way I bank, uh, you know, with the way I make mm-hmm. money around as an organization. I, you know, personally, not there yet. Are we embracing it? Absolutely. You know, and I think one of the interesting concepts that I look at when it comes to blockchain is how the world of identity is changing. You know, we, we all, we've all seen the uh, trouble that Facebook have kind of got themselves in in the last few weeks, right? We're yes. allowing people's information just to be shared uh, out there. And ultimately, why? Because we have no control over that data. You know, we all kind of know what's going to happen when we sign up to these big systems uh, like Facebook. Uh, there, but you know, ultimately, when it does happen, then we we put our hand up and say, "Well, hold on, why did you let that happen?" You know, and, and that's what blockchain's bringing back to us is, you know, how do we get to control our own information? How do we get to control our own identity uh, rather than these big monolithic systems uh, controlling it? And you know, you look at the history around software development and it's kind of come full circle again, hasn't it? You know, we've got, you know, mainframe, client server, cloud, now blockchain. Right? Yeah, and, you know, the, the blockchain has a has a huge potential, as, as you point out. Um, and, you know, for it to be, be reach the 10% of reality where right now we've got 100% of hype, <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, it, it's got to. There's got to be a, a great deal more focus applied to where it can really benefit the enterprise, and maybe, uh, or more than likely, each enterprise gets its own has its own angle on where the benefits are, and you know that that's what makes businesses unique. So they've got to take a look at the the concept of blockchain, and what that honesty that uh, that capability of that honest exchange and openness even within a uh, private exchange might look like to their business uh, yeah absolutely you know right now it's motivated by the ability to earn money you know so whether whether you're transferring money and you can move it a lot faster or transferring information you can move it without an intermediary so you're saving money there whether you're mining information and you're earning money there there's the driver is always a financial benefit and you know while it's that i think it's open to boom and bust type scenarios as soon as it as soon as we move from a money piece that into an information piece that's when it's going to become stable right and uh hopefully that well, I, I, what, what, what's your take on that? Do you think that's going to happen anytime soon? You know, it, it's starting to happen now, uh, but ultimately, I think it's going to take time, right? Is, am I going to put want to put all my health records upon the blockchain, which is like being touted as the number one scenario? For me, that's a little bit scary right now, right? Who, who's going to better hack that information? Who's going to have? You know, who can get access to it? Uh, not that I've got any health information that I wouldn't mind sharing, you know, but uh, you know, ultimately we've got to be careful with identity. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's the real key thing, is, and for me too, is, is the fear of the exposure of that information. Now, it would be wonderful to have that information available to the right people. 
So, you know, medical industry, if they're trying to do an analysis over uh, a large population and try and understand how to better deal with, you know, a particular uh, drug or uh, idea of, you know, something they want to put out there, you know, something that help and benefit others, then, you know, you, you might be more willing to share your information. Um, it looks like we're, we're going to be heading off to another break there, Paul. Uh, so we're going to have our, our, our second break, and we'll continue on talking about the future of technology, future of software, uh, where we're going with it. We'll continue on with our discussion with blockchain, as well as uh, the bits needed to build software and how we're evolving as a, as a technology base, um, as a business, as an industry. So thanks to Paul Twig. Uh, we'll be back in just a short moment. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Your work-life balance. In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Higher education faces lots of changes. If you are a student, educator, or in the workforce, you'll want to tune into Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Your host, Dave Goldberg, and his guests will explore the innovations that higher education adopts as it reinvents itself. The world of higher education is constantly changing. Stay on top and stay ahead of the rest. Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Art of Software with Martin Lacey. To connect with the show today, you may call into 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd prefer to send an email, you may send it to m.lacy at lacytechnology.com. Now, back to The Art of Software. Hi, welcome back to The Art of Software. We're talking today with Paul Twig, VP of Sierra Systems. Uh, he's or VP of Technology at Sierra Systems. And we've been talking about the future of software. Uh, first, we talked about the, the uh, increase in performance capabilities of, of uh, software. It's shift from the cloud, uh, from remote servers to local, uh, to devices. And now, uh, and we've talked quite a bit about blockchain, which is really uh, an emerging uh, technology with 
immense potential, but potential is what it has right now. There's no, um, I mean, it's it's being used for um, speculative exchange of, of value through Bitcoin and, and those kind of things. Um, so uh, why don't we move our shift a little bit into the um, uh, data analytics, predictive analytics, the volume of data that's that's now being gathered or available um, in real time from all these devices. Uh, we're we're seeing a just a, an immense amount of data, and you know that that pushes us out to cloud computing or getting at um, uh, servers that can access this volume of data and process it. So where where do you see us heading? Uh, Paul, with this processing, this this data hungry world that we seem to be moving into. Right. The the cool thing that's happening, and th this is what's exciting for me, is you know now it's not just about having a device out there to think or do something. We want to know everything that that device is doing, right? And so, you know, as an IT administrator uh, in an organization, you know, five years ago, our, our world was tiny, right? You know, people got in and out of our network through VPNs and, you know, we, we were able to do all, all, all kinds of security tests uh, to say, you know, how secure our network is. You take a look at a, a network today that of, you know, every device in all of the different locations that's now sending data. You look at a hospital, you know, every piece of, or every, uh, yeah, little device in a hospital that each doctor's using in each room is now capable of sending information back to a central place. Your network's massive now, right? And all of this information's coming in. What what are we actually starting to do with it? For me, that that's like super exciting. Oh yeah, it's uh, well. This the uh, for the stuff that I'm working on, which is quality control systems. We're starting to put in uh, bits of software to manage and look at all the devices just connecting onto the network and looking at the response times of those devices and how they're interacting with other devices. So we're getting at you know how the the performance characteristics of all the equipment that is operating your network and operating your equipment. So it's the, just the volume of data that's there to be in a, analyzed to optimize your business is immense. It, it isn't, you know, one of the beauties of all of it is, is you know, there are patterns in data. And, you know, as, as a human, you can detect patterns, but you can't process large volumes of data quickly. You know, if, if we can then teach a computer to start to understand those patterns computers can process those patterns a lot faster and understand you know let, let me give you an example so something that we've been prototyping at sierra systems is a device a humidity device uh you know developed with raspberry pi that could go and sit in a a, a room in an aged care center uh, as an example look for uh, humidity changes you know let's say somebody's you know got early onset of alzheimer's they've left the stove on, it's generated some heat, increased the humidity, this device then signals all the way back into a central console, console system that then sends a, a security person or an engineer uh, out to that particular location to do a quick check on, you know, is everything okay? Is everything safe? Now, you know, you might say, well, we, we've had devices that have been able to do that for a long time. And we have. But 
the reality now is we've got devices that, you know, for five bucks or 10 bucks can start to do that. And then when we get the data, we can start analyzing it, right? We, we're coming into uh, Easter right now. You know, people are thinking about these large family meals maybe. And, uh, you know, may, maybe a stove is on for five hours as, uh, you know, these meals are prepared. And, you know, ultimately we, we look at that and say, well, we don't want the device to go off in a scenario where it really shouldn't go off. And that's where we're now able to start to use predictive analytics, machine learning, deep learning in some of those scenarios to help computer systems understand it. it's not just the data we want, but we want to understand the patterns of the data to be able to make active decisions. Yeah, and, and is that the looking at volumes and volumes of data, millions of passes to get that predictive uh, ability in in there. And of course, now we've got uh, the predictive analytics in the cloud. So you could actually use Azure cloud services and hook into their um, analytical engines to do financial modeling, for example. It's, it's uh, you know, crazy how, how easy or potentially easy it is to get at and model um, uh, information and empower the computer, empower these algorithms to make uh, uh, predict predictions based on that volume of data. It, it is. You know, we, we talked in the last segment about how blockchain is generating quite a lot of uh, financial benefit for those people that are jumping into it. You know, and, and you know, it, it's up and down. Uh, in the data science world, think about algorithms. That's the key word, right? That's the business word. And there's organizations that are set up that all they're doing is developing, patenting, selling algorithms uh, out to organizations. I know Microsoft set up a business not too long ago uh, dealing with algorithms. Why? Because it's those algorithms that are helping applications make decisions. So now, you know, as an example, if we got into Microsoft machine learning, the, the steps are really, really easy uh, there, right? You look at them, they're simple, right? Let's yeah. import some data. Let's go pre-process it. You know, let's clean it up, things like that. Let's split the data so that there's some data that we can use for processing and some data that we can use for testing. Then let's train a model and then let's look at the scoring of the model, right? That's the process that a developer follows. The hard yes. part is choosing one of the 50, 60, 70 algorithms, you know, or multiple algorithms, which ways, which uh, algorithm is going to provide you the best score on the models for the uh, results you're trying to achieve. And in, in, that, in that respect, your developer is no really, not really a developer, at least in the traditional sense, is more of a, a, a data scientist, a, a, a data analyst. Yeah, you know, I, I would say more data analyst, right? So I, I think, you know, three, three to five years ago, if we were having this conversation, data scientist, absolutely. That, that was the buzzword. Uh, now, when we, as, a, as an organization, we do a lot of machine learning projects, and as we talk to our clients, we're not asking for data scientists anymore because the tool set actually does a lot of the data science for us. What we actually need are domain experts, right? So, you know, if we're dealing with agriculture data, we, we need a an, an person that is familiar with agriculture data, with pipeline data, somebody who understands pipelines. Uh, they not necessarily a data scientist, but a domain scientist. That's fascinating. 
you know, and that really comes back down to uh, understanding the business. I mean, whenever I have to build an application uh, for a business, there's there's always the uh, absolute requirement that I need a domain expert on that project. I need someone that knows the aspect of the business that we're trying to automate or we're trying to enhance, that knows that 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 backwards and forwards. We need to have our domain experts on the project. You know, ne- never underestimate the value of a domain expert. There, you know, a, whether it's a healthcare project, you, you you need somebody that understands healthcare, and not not somebody who's been to the doctor once or <laughs> twice, but somebody who really understands who lives healthcare. You know, and that's why at Sierra Systems we we have a justice practice with people that live and breathe justice and a healthcare practice that people that live and breathe healthcare, public domain practice that people live and breathe government, uh, and. You know, and in that instance, you know, they know more about their industry than they know about IT, some of these folk, but they're invaluable to these projects. Uh, and uh, share, share another example, and this was actually a recent example in the last couple of weeks, uh, there where we were approached uh, by an organization to say, hey, is there any way to be able to manage or understand how bad a riptide is in you know, a large lake, a sea, an ocean, somewhere like that, so that we can help, you know, maybe push something out to a mobile device uh, to help swimmers understand, look, you know, be super careful today because it's dangerous. And we know that people die around the world uh, because of riptides every right. single year. Uh, you, know, you think about that, and I think, you know, by putting just a simple device in the in the sea, I can't get into too many details of the type of device, uh, but, but also by using cameras, we're now able to use predictive analytics and machine learning to predict when that riptide might be so strong that a swimmer isn't going to be able to get back to shore. All right, and that, that that's pretty exciting stuff. It's also scary, though, with the, you know, now, now think about that. You know, is that me or is that a domain expert helping make those decisions? We have a domain expert, somebody who understands riptides, going through and saying, look, these are the scenarios that we've got to be really careful uh, about. You know, we look at the uh, temperature of the water. We look at how high the water is. We look at the temperature outside of the uh, water. We look at the tides, all of that kind of information. And they point out where that problem is going to be. And then we just teach and train the computer to say, look, start to identify these scenarios. And right. All of a sudden we've got riptide management solution. Right. So we get so we get the domain expert to pretty much train the predictive predictive analytics algorithm to pull out that that salient information so that they can become even better than the domain expert. Yeah. No go Go back 20 years in software development and say, you know, hey, you're developing a piece of software for the healthcare organization. Make sure you've got a clinician on staff to do that. I'd have laughed at them. You know, we don't put clinicians on staff to do software development where, you know, right now it's the only way to do it. Right. Well, I think we're going to be charging down to the future where we'll have, uh, you know, these domain experts training systems, training algorithms and those will hopefully become the trusted source. Um, but again, you know that all, uh, with these trusted sources, there's always a venue or attack vector that potentially they could be um, subverted for some other 
purpose. Uh, with that in mind, we're going to take a, our last break. Uh, we'll be right back with Paul Twig, VP of Sierra Systems Technology. Uh, and we'll continue on with our discussion about the future of technology, future of software on the art of software with Martin Lacey and Paul Twig. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. In this fast-paced, technologically driven world of business, the stress can be crushing. It's exhausting business leaders and burning out good employees. It is not enough to work from the top down. We must now learn to work from the inside out. Listen to Innovative Mindful Solutions with Terry Geller. We will discuss ways to transform roadblocking emotions using mindful-based tools you can incorporate into your business and your life right now. Don't stress. Tune in every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on The Voice America business channel moving forward can be difficult to do sometimes there is always something going on many times nobody else knows exactly what you're going through if you are experiencing pain or loss even something unexplained that is missing in your life you'll want to tune into go for it with host joe hausman joe and her guests will show you laughter and love Sometimes you just need something a little positive in your week. Make that spot Thursday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Art of Software with Martin Lacey. To connect with the show today, you may call into 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd prefer to send an email, you may send it to m.lacy at lacytechnology.com. Now, back to The Art of Software. Welcome back to The Art of Software. We're talking today with Paul Twig, who's the VP of technology at Sierra Systems. We've been going over the various aspects of technology, software technology, how things has evolved, and where we might be going with it. And there's a lot going on with the uh, ability to acquire and analyze data and make use of that information to understanding our world around us and understanding ourselves. And uh, with that in mind, uh, we're going to continue on our conversation with Paul, talk about the large amounts of data that's now being gathered and being put to use in the healthcare industry. Um, Paul, what, what, are, what are you seeing today within you know, these large scope of Sears healthcare, healthcare initiative um, in terms of technology and data acquisition and being able to help uh, 
help that whole industry in understanding um, the health of people? You know, I, I, I think the health industry is going through a massive change right now, isn't it? You know, going from these massive monolithic databases to now introducing concepts of cognitive computing, augmented reality in, into the healthcare practice. Is putting information, you know, with through blockchain, uh, at the fingertips of the actual clients, the end users of uh, of that information. You know, take take uh, cognitive computing as an example. You know, being able to use cameras uh, to detect how people are feeling. You know, they they recently had in one of the provinces in in Canada there uh, a person die in the triage area of a hospital. Super sad scenario. And you know, ultimately, lots of lots of preceding facts uh, around that. You know, where it, it actually wasn't anything to do with the hospital. Uh, you know, no processes were broken. This person bypassed the triage area. Hospital didn't really know about them. Didn't know to look for them. Uh, in there, sat in a waiting room, waiting for a doctor, without realizing that they hadn't informed anybody that they were in there, and then ultimately passed away. Uh, you know, which is crazy mm. sad. But now you look at that and we're able to now put cameras uh, up in waiting rooms that can start to detect an individual, right? So think about this now. A camera on a triage desk detects individuals coming in. We're able to now put a picture next to a person, identity. We can do the same thing in a triage room. If it identifies somebody that we don't know, it can flag that to a nurse, and again, not from a security perspective, but from a from a feeling perspective. We want to help people, right? We right. want technology to really benefit uh, these people. But then you add some of the cognitive services in there. We're, we're able to look at emotion, as an example. We're able to start to detect things like, you know, are they under the influence of certain types of uh, drugs or alcohol? Are they... Uh, are they feeling lots of pain? You know, you think about, you know, as you feel pain, your face all of a sudden becomes really crunched up uh, there. Can, can we use facial technology to start to detect that so that maybe we could flag up on a triage uh, person's uh, monitor to say, hey, we think there might be somebody struggling in the triage area. Go help them out. So we're seeing technology not take over decisions, but to be able to assist doctors, nurses, uh, specialists in making decisions. Enhancing their, their, their ability to predict or I guess even uh, before they see the patient uh, to understand if someone's confused. Um, you know, I, I can see that being a, a real big help in, uh, you know, segmenting out the, the triage area, trying to find the, the patients that you need to look at right away, those that uh, just just need some emotional support. No, I, absolutely. There's a couple of other areas of cognitive computing that we're seeing in the health industry and, and beyond in a lot of the supporting services as well as that of uh, knowledge, which is kind of mapping mapping knowledge together, and then language, you know, natural language pro processing you know you, you think about you know i don't know if you've uh, ever had the should we call it an opportunity to visit uh, a hospital and go through a triage scenario but you know you're working with professionals who are dealing with everything from a you know maybe a scratch or a cut to dealing with life-threatening illnesses and accidents mm -hmm. just 
you know this crazy uh crazy amount of information you know the, the, these these guys need medals for for the work that they do and they take so many notes right and a lot of these notes it's just written notes on a on a computer or on a piece of paper because of time so now with cognitive computing we're able to get a hold of those notes and use the knowledge components and the language components of co cognitive computing to again start to look for patterns you know, is there a way to say certain things happen and they happen because of an abusive situation, right? So could we now forewarn a triage nurse or could we forewarn a, a, a doctor and say, look, in the past, we've seen these symptoms and they've caused X, Y, Z. Consider this. Right. And, and I guess that's where the, the, the massive volumes of data come into play, where we can analyze not just uh, what's going over in this particular triage or this particular state or area of the country, but globally, you know, and look at people at, in the millions and understand what goes on in the triage area or in a particular aspect of any particular business, hospital, or, or, or industry. And from that large amount of data, be, have, have a, a ability to analyze and come up with the true nature, the finding the patterns the real patterns that are underlying the behavior that you're you're monitoring. Yeah, and, and you know, this is the art of software, right? I think this, you know, you look at your show and the the concepts behind it, and this is where we're going. Uh, they, you know, we're working with a, a homeless shelter in Calgary, one of the biggest one, who uh, has a they they have an inspiring IT director there, you know, someone who really really believes technology can help people, and she she's a she's a visionary in in her field. Uh, there we're looking at technology uh, like facial recognition, emotion recognition. Uh, we're we're looking at kiosks to be able to assist homeless people to hopefully get back on their feet, get back out into the community, get a job, get a house, a place to stay, uh, and, and really, you know, help with some of the mental health issues that are going on. This is where technology is going right now. I would love to see that. That would, that would be such an excellent use of this uh, large scale technology of data acquisition and predictive analysis, predictive analytics to look into people and give them a leg up, uh, be able to see what's, what they're, um, you know, what's, what's troubling them uh, and try and help them along or, or bring the team, the support people around them to help m make them, um, you know, a better uh, person and, uh, you know, get past their stress. Yeah, I, absolutely. And, you know, you can you can now take that technology and put it on a mobile device because all of the compute power lives up in the cloud right it lives in these big machine learning uh, worlds uh, that are out there so now you know as an example i downloaded an app onto my onto my phone uh, the other day that is able to use machine learning algorithms to look in into my spending uh, <laughs> patterns dangerous right and yes it, it's able to now predict where I might be five years from now based on my income and expense statements. But even better, it now says, well, you know what? If you don't go to Starbucks 
five days a week and only go twice a week, you'll save X amount of money and is able to come up with all these patterns uh, of how I can become, uh, you know, a, a better uh, person with when in terms of financial management, right? And you know, it, it's beautiful when you look at how this works. Uh, I, you know, the, the, the benefits um, of using this technology, using this information properly are just huge. And it, it just, it, it really gives you a, a real sense of hope and progress when we talk about where we can really go with this. And unfortunately, we're at the end of our show, Paul. Uh, this has been really exciting. Uh, it's been, it's actually been quite entertaining and enjoyable to talk about where the positive aspects of the technology will go and the actual art of software benefiting people and where this will take us in the future. Thanks very, very much, Paul, for joining us today. Thank you, Martin. We're going to wrap up and we'll be back next week with... Uh, um, uh, well, talking to Luke Keynes and talking about how to start a business in software and how to make it a success. So thanks for being with us. This is Martin Lacey and Paul Twig on The Art of Software. Thank you for listening to The Art of Software. Be sure to join your host, Martin Lacey, again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we talk again, have a great week.